there's been a lot of wars here, so people don't necessarily trust custodial providers or the government or banks to hold their money. A lot of people have lost a lot of stuff. And so having self-custody of anything in general is kind of built into their, their morale. Welcome back to Beyond the Price, the podcast that goes beyond the flashing numbers to explore how Bitcoin fits into the global economy and how real people and real companies are actually using it, especially in Asia. Today we're focusing on Bitcoin in Vietnam. My guests are Dominic Weil, co-founder of Bitcoin VN, a cryptocurrency exchange in Vietnam, and Albert Bu, founder and CEO of Neutron Pay, a payment service that uses the Lightning Network to offer cheap instant remittances and other types of payments. We talk about why they chose to work in Vietnam, what it means when people say that Vietnam has the highest rate of Bitcoin adoption in the world, what the reality is on the ground there, and what Bitcoin can offer a country that's been hard hit by war throughout history. Just before we get into that, though, I want to mention some upcoming events in the region. Way on the other side of the continent, we have Bitcoin Oasis in Dubai on February 8 to 9. Then on March 23rd, we have Bitcoin Alive in Sydney. I know Australia is not Asia, but it's close enough. I figured I'd include it. Also, if you didn't know, the organizers of the big Bitcoin conference, which has been in Miami until now, but it's in Nashville this year, they're also organizing a Bitcoin conference in Hong Kong on May 9 and 10. I just got an email saying that the price of general passes will go up from $99 to $149 on February 3rd. So get those before then if you're planning on attending. For more conferences and meetups this year in Asia, check out the calendar on beyondtheprice.substack.com. Okay, on to the conversation. Let me know what you think of this by leaving me a comment on Fountain or emailing me at beyondtheprice@substack.com. I hope you enjoy. Albert, Dominic, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for the invite. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad we were finally able to make this happen, especially because, I mean, I, I know very little about Vietnam as a country and then even less about Bitcoin adoption there. So I'm looking forward to uh, learning a lot in the next hour. But for starters, uh, I just want to hear your backgrounds, like how you ended up in Vietnam and, and also how you got into Bitcoin. So maybe uh, starting with Albert. Uh, what's your story? Uh, so for myself, um, so I got into Bitcoin a little bit. I, I feel I got in a, a little bit late. I was in Bitcoin ever since 2013. So late 2012, 2013. Um, and that kind of got me down to the rabbit hole. Um, but prior to that, I was in, in fintech. So I've been in fintech all my life. Uh, um, and so I got into uh, Bitcoin because it, it's really funny. Someone came into my work and kind of gave me a paper and said, hey, you know, here's this thing called Bitcoin, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, read the paper, but like most people are skeptical. And this was in 2010. And I threw it away, came back to it and just kind of went down the rabbit hole ever since. And then um, through that, I created uh, Neutron Pay uh, while I was working at a fintech company called HyperWallet. And then um, as soon as that kind of created, I quickly found out that uh, Bitcoin and Lightning had no spot in Canada in around 2018, 2019. It just there wasn't a need for another payment rail. And so Vietnam came right away to my mind. And then fast forward to today, I moved over to Vietnam in 2019, early 2019, and then just started Neutron Pay from there. And then, um, yeah, the rest is history. So you grew up in Canada? I grew up in Canada. Yeah, I grew up in uh, a little small city, I guess, uh, called Edmonton. And then I moved over to Vancouver and I spent most of my time there. And then uh, I moved over to Vietnam. Okay. Uh, what what was your Vietnam connection? Uh, my family's from here. My background mm -hmm. is Vietnamese too as well. And just kind of, you know, putting two pieces together and wanting to come back and kind of saw that there was a lot more for 
I wouldn't say forward thinking, but more willing to try other options for payments in Vietnam, rather than Canada. Canada is not very open to other payment methods. They just like e-transfer credit cards and debit cards. Mm-hmm. So there really isn't a need for another payment rail. Whereas in Southeast Asia and Vietnam, there's, uh, I would say some, some type of particular need for another payment rail. Were you really familiar with, uh, those challenges? Like, uh, had you, uh, experienced difficulty paying for stuff in, in Vietnam, um, prior. So that was why you started the company. Was it like a response to, uh, uh, a need that you saw and felt, or was it more like, oh, this is my expertise, so this is what I'll get into? Yeah, it was a bit of both, actually. It was more, um, I, I felt that there was a need. This was just kind of my personal opinion. Um, because coming back here, you know, it, actually the payment rails in, in Vietnam are all, a lot more forward and a lot more sophisticated than they are kind of back home. Just that that's kind of shocking to me is that. Vietnam has something that's called NatPass, right? And NatPass is like main switchboard. And that main switchboard connects all the banks in Vietnam, right? So everything connects to it. And you can have an inter-transfer between like, for example, like if I had a, a, a Chase bank account and I was trying to transfer it to like a JP Morgan account, that doesn't usually happen in the United States. That's like an inter-bank transfer. And you have to do like um, like an ACH and it takes like, a, like, like 12 hours or 24 hours for it to, to kind of move over, right? In Vietnam, it's instant. Like I can be like Dominic can have a bank called like you know Vietcom Bank, and I can have another bank called MP Bank, and that local transfer is instant. Hmm. So it's really quick. And so that we can't really change that. Like that we're we're not gonna. I'm not trying to compete with that. What I'm trying to do is trying to be able to provide a payment method that globally, um, like for Vietnam for cross border. I guess we can kind of put it into cross border remittance. Is that it's it's somewhat expensive, right? So if you want to go from like US dollar to VND, maybe that might not be expensive. But if you want to go from, say, for example, Africa is a good example for us because we have a client there, is if you want to do African Nira to VND, no one trades that, right? It's super expensive. Right. And from from transferring from that, why they'd want to transfer from Africa to Vietnam, there's there's a funny use case. They buy wigs, right? So Africa buy a bunch of wigs from, from Vietnam factories huh. and they get it shipped over, right? That That spread and that fee just to get African Nira to VND is 14%. Wow. Because it has to go through African Nira, VND, I mean, US dollar, US dollar to VND, right? And there's a liquidity maker in, or market maker in the middle that says, I only have this amount of USD, either you buy it or don't, hmm. right? So that was kind of one of the issues that we wanted to come and solve was there shouldn't be a person that pays 14%. That should be able solvable with obviously the Lightning Network and we can facilitate that a lot cheaper and a lot faster, right? So instead of having 14%, and it actually takes 30 days for it to settle. So they will, they will take that lump sum, batch it out, and say, whoever is in Africa that wants to do this, I'll collect as much as I can, and then I'll send it out. So if you miss that window, you have to wait another 30 days where they got to come back and say, you want to buy some more USD to go into VND? So it's very predatory, right, in Africa and also in Vietnam when you're trying to do these cross-border things. And so that's what we're trying to solve. And so that's why I came kind of to Vietnam to kind of believe that I think that's a problem that we can solve hmm. where intertransfer between low currency pairs that no one likes to trade, but there's a lot of inter-country trading that they'd like to do, like Africa to Vietnam want to do a lot of trade, right? But it's super expensive. We can come in and we can solve that. And so that's kind of why I wanted to come to Vietnam to, to hopefully solve that problem with Intrumpe. Hmm. Fascinating. How about you, Dominic? How did you end up in Vietnam and uh, working in Bitcoin? Nice. Joined basically learned about Bitcoin similar time to Orbit, like late 2012, early 2013. 
um, originally started the Bitcoin community in Frankfurt in summer 2013. And around that time, we also were looking to launch an exchange in Europe because, I mean, back then there was basically no infrastructure there. You had Mt. Gox in Japan, story which you are probably <laughs> relatively familiar with. Uh, in the US, they had already Coinbase, but Europe didn't really have any good on and off ramps. Um, similar to Orbit, we also learned relatively quickly that Germany is not very open for business. And then, like in early 2014, we made the move because the software was ready to go. Um, and we launched the first Bitcoin exchange in Vietnam back in the day. And that's what we are still doing today. So we are almost now at our 10-year anniversary and have expanded our services a bit. So we have now the online trading platform for OTC Desk. We run a couple of Bitcoin ATMs here. Work also relatively close with Orbit on the who Lightning rollout here in Vietnam. Yeah, so similar to Orbit, like a bit like refugee from like the not so business friendly Western countries going for the opportunities here in Asia. I did see on the website that you have uh, Bitcoin ATMs. Uh, we used to have a few in Japan, but I think they're basically all gone now. Um, it's uh, it's very hard to uh, buy Bitcoin anonymously. Um, I think they they definitely uh, frown upon that kind of thing, and uh, yeah, that's why the ATMs disappeared. But how is it in Vietnam? Is it still uh, It's still acceptable. acceptable. Um, in Vietnam, I mean, it's a bit more tricky, Mark. I think in Japan, it's like very straightforward, regulated what you can and cannot do. While in Vietnam, for better or worse, everything is a bit gray, which allows to certain room to navigate. But on the other hand, you also can't, simply can't get certain paperwork. Um, I think Orbit also experiencing this bit that's like, somewhat of a break to growth so you can experiment a lot a lot more here in this market but on the other hand it's very difficult to scale to like a bigger level simply because you won't be able to get like the not the agreement and yeah i mean a lot of it is still kind of this unregulated gray market where it's all a bit uncertain how is this going to play out in the long term so yeah that's that's mm -hmm. basically the environment we have to navigate right now here in Vietnam. With the exchange business uh, offering more than just Bitcoin, what uh, what is the the interest level of uh, Vietnamese customers in in these different currencies? In Japan, um, it's always been viewed basically like a, a slightly different type of FX trading. Um, I think there's not a there's not a widespread understanding of of Bitcoin itself. They just kind of see it as one among many um magic internet money currencies that you can trade and and hopefully increase your yen stack uh and then of course now there's this web3 movement and the government is really embracing it um for some reason but uh how is it in in vietnam still very early stages i mean we have a small dedicated community of like hardcore bitcoin people here but it's very early and the amount of people who's like really like more these gamblers and betting on the newest random meme coin or whatever by far 
outweighs like the people who are actually serious about building stuff in Bitcoin or really understand Bitcoin. Um, one thing one should take into account, I get asked this quite a bit, like compared like how is like Germany to Vietnam, for example. In Germany, the amount of people with interest is much smaller, um, but you have a much deeper depth. So the people who really understand Bitcoin very well, for example, there is, I mean, we have like really smart brains, we really get it, but the population at large doesn't really like it at all. I mean, Germany is like extremely risk averse. People don't even like to invest in stocks and see this already as like gambling basically, while like in, in North America, investing in stocks is normal part of savings culture in a way. Here in Vietnam, mm -hmm. And you have probably seen these these stats regarding, oh, Vietnam has like the highest Bitcoin adoption. That's how it's often labeled in the world. Um, I believe these numbers are true if you count everybody who has some type of crypto app on their phone. That doesn't mean they mm. have a Bitcoin app on their phone. That's like a crypto app, often, oftentimes not even like... Um, like actual cryptocurrency, but just like some gambling platform with like with this Pine Network stuff, or what you also certainly have heard about it, which is not even any type of cryptocurrency. It's just marketed as this way, and people say obviously, yeah, I'm also into cryptocurrency. Generally, here in Vietnam, it's also seen as like mostly like gambling. The word which is used here is like Joy Bitcoin, or what you probably can pronounce this better than me is like Play Bitcoin. That's the verb which is used. It's not using Bitcoin, saving in Bitcoin. It's playing Bitcoin. That's interesting. The the yeah operative verb there. Um, have you seen it changing over the past few years? Uh, people's mindsets towards Bitcoin, understanding. Um, yeah, what have you seen over the past few years? Minimal changes, I would say, from my perspective. I mean, like the hardcore community is slightly growing, but so is also the gambler community. And the gambler community is like just 100 times as large as like the people who actually get it. Obviously, in total numbers, they still grow much faster. Vietnamese people are, for better or worse, not very ideological, very pragmatic people. It has its upsides. Um, in terms that you can get stuff done relatively quickly when it comes to general economy business. But that also means they don't necessarily have the incentive to really go deep and understand like the long-term implications of this. Doesn't mean these people don't exist at all mm. here. I mean, there are some people who really dive deep into it, but that's a very small minority. How about you, Albert? Uh, do you feel like you've seen any change over the past few years? especially in light of uh how much has happened in the in the past few years it seems like a period in which a lot of people's thinking has really been shifted whether it's just about like the reliability of their own currency or uh the trustworthiness of the government seems like uh, a lot of people have changed but uh, has any of that ex extended to the the bitcoin awareness in vietnam yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, a lot of stuff that kind of me and Dom have been pushing for a long time, especially Dom, he's been here for a long time, right? Like he's mentioned. Um, I, I think there's been change um, just because now it's kind of more prevalent now within the space itself, right? Like online and kind of how it's a little bit different now. And plus kind of 
us kind of coming in a little bit more with kind of that message with along with Dom, right, is now there's another company that's really pushing it just for, for Bitcoin abuse and adoption, right? Um, many people don't like it, and I agree with that with Dom, is that there's still a lot of education that needs to be done here. Um, because I like to call it like there's a large peanut gallery here, right? These are a bunch of people that don't like to read. They don't like to try to understand that something uh, is not what they think it is, which is like they think Bitcoin's a scam, right? Because there's a lot of scammers in Vietnam, unfortunately. And that has kind of, you know, prevailed out through the whole community, right? So a lot of bad things happened like in like early 2016, 2017. I think Dom can like, you know, attest to this is like, there was this mining operation that came in, stole like millions of dollars, and it was all about Bitcoin. Um, they had a bunch of other scams with Bitcoin as well. And that just kind of gave it a really bad name, mm. right? And then tie that up with a lot of the other blockchains and stuff like that. That's what really caused a lot of the spiral of, bit, of Bitcoin itself to go down. And so the name Bitcoin, as soon as you mention it, people just either have A, been affected by it, or B, have been affected by it in some kind of manner of a different blockchain, right? Or some shitcoin. And you just clump it all together. But on that low side is other people that actually go and read it, right? They understand it. I think the usage is a lot higher. Chain analysis does approve a lot of that. There's a lot of activity on chain, right? So that can be kind of sourced out. That can actually be verified. Mm. And there is a lot of activity in Vietnam. That's what the funny thing is, is that there's a lot of people that actually know how to use it. And I think from kind of just my opinion of what I've seen so far is that people treat it that know about it, treat it like an edge for themselves. And that's just the unfortunate part, right? Because people need to live and survive. And the biggest thing in their mind is I need an edge in life. And if I have an edge, why would I need to share that with anyone else? Mm. And so the people that do know how to use it, use it very effectively, right? So they use it in means of whatever they're trying to get, whatever they're trying to receive as a payment for their services or anything like that. That is their mean of trying to get whatever it is to survive, right? So whatever that type of money is, they'll get it from Bitcoin and they know how to use it. They'll use that to their advantage. And I've seen that a lot where people will say, I've learned it. I've taken the time to understand it. I've read it. I've done my 10,000 hours. I've done my experience. I've, done, I've lost my money with it. So it's my personal thing that I, want to sh I don't want to share. And that's what I've heard and seen a lot of people. Not everyone is like that, but I think it's just... It's just the mentality here, right? Like it's it, it's different from North America because in North America, you're, I hate to say it, is we're in an ivory tower in North America, right? I'm subject to it. I think Dom was subject to it. There's a different lifestyle between the West and the East. The East, if you've lived in Vietnam, it's very difficult, right? There's no aid. It's you're either on the street or you're dead. There's no one that's going to come in and say, hey, Here's a shelter. We'll help you out, right? Government has aid. Don't worry. Free healthcare, whatever it is. Vietnam doesn't have that. It's either you you survive and you try to do something with with what you have and with the means that you have, and that's what you need, right? So when people say that I don't want to share it, it's because it's the way they grew up. There's a different frame that they grew up in, and if they found an instrument that they feel that they can use to better their life, and they don't want to share it because they've gone through whatever it is, like I said, like they've lost money, they've understood it, they took their time. That's their prerogative. And so does that change? I hope so, right? That's, I think that's what me and Dom are trying to do is we're trying to flip that narrative is that Bitcoin is not just speculation. It's something that you do want to use as much as Bitcoin people hate saying that is you got to use it if you want to have a circular economy. You can't have a circular economy if you just keep saving it, then you're just speculating, right? Because 
you're going to be like that next guy is when Bitcoin goes up to 100,000, you're going to sell it for 100,000. Life is life. You need to survive. You need to pay bills. You need to do something with loved ones. I don't know what it is, but that's that's what um, a lot of people do. And that's why we're trying to change that narrative is, yes, you can save with it, but you should also be able to spend with it for services and stuff like that. So hopefully in Vietnam, that changes. And I think that is, right? I think it's changing where people actually want something different because right now it's VND or it's US dollar. That's the only thing they know. And then there's a subset of group of people that have three options, which is that Bitcoin now, right? So it's VND, USD, and now you have Bitcoin. The Bitcoin allows for that easy method of transfer for them for for you know being global. And now they can access online without needing a credit card. And that's the biggest thing that we're trying to show with Neutron Pay as well, right? Is now you don't need you just have Lightning. You download the Neutron Pay Wallet app. You go to Bit Refill. You go to Pay with Moon. Whatever it is, and you can buy a credit card. You can buy top up stuff. You can buy a gift card on Amazon. You can now be a part of the online economy without a credit card, right? Because having a credit card, you need credit. You need to be verifiable at the bank, and not everyone has an ID or they've lost it and they can't get the means to get that ID back. So then they're excluded, right? So now we're giving that opportunity for people to be excluded online to have the online ability to go and, you know, kind of go and talk with everyone online and say, yes, I'd like to buy that product, or I'd like to sell you a service from Vietnam, like my coffee or whatever it is. And you're allowed to do that now. So that's why we're trying to push that a little bit more. And that message is, this is the, this is the opportunity and this is what you have. So being online without a credit card is the biggest thing. And I think that's what we're kind of aiming to do to kind of make that message a little bit simpler. So people would use lightning um, in that aspect. Hmm. This is a question for both of you. What uh, way of explaining Bitcoin do you find is is most compelling to uh, an average Vietnamese person? Uh, we've seen Bitcoin go through a number of phases in terms of the way that it's explained, whether it's uh, digital gold or um, electronic payments. Um, yeah, I, there, there's been a few others, but uh, but what way uh, do you find is most compelling in your environment? I mean, for the average person, and you might hate to say this, but after 10 years, you get maybe a bit cynical about it. I mean, it's here people are mostly interested in the speculation part. That's just it. That's not how we are going out and market it. Of course, we are bringing our own message. Hey, this thing has actual utility to improve like payment rails to improve how you save how you move money around um but that's a message which only like a very small part of the population is a interested in and also has the ability to understand which is still a fair amount of people i mean we have 100 million people living here in Vietnam. if only one percent or five percent is grasping this this is still a lot of people who are able to receive this message at some point where we get out of right now, and Albert mentioned this before, right now Bitcoin has extremely bad reputation here in Vietnam in the general society, because all you read in the media, the why Bitcoin is not regulated here. I mean, the only thing which is kind of regulated is you're not supposed to use it like for payments in a way that you're not supposed to use foreign currencies or gold. But otherwise, it's very unregulated. But what is the situation here is on the ground is like that the media portrayed in a really bad light. It's all scams and you will lose your money and only criminals use it. And so the average person here has the perception that only like very shady subjects basically have anything to do with it. 
And the mm. people interested into it are then more like all these speculators, gamblers, and all the people who run then these scams, which means that like the more alleged business people in Vietnam who might not have like a deep understanding of it, a lot of them don't want to have anything to do with it because they feel that's like a threat to their own reputation. And this is something where Albert and me are working to try to explain to the people who are somewhat of movers and shakers here, like, okay, there's also another side to this whole Bitcoin thing, and maybe you also want to listen to some people who build some serious stuff around. And I think that's probably where more our focus should be than trying to just reach the average person. I think it's a better use of our time to reach some people who are like, some people who have some standing and influence also on from there, we will also be able then to change the message. How about you, Albert? Yeah, I, I, I'm with Dom too. I try to keep it um, a little straightforward and simple. Like, so we try to come at, I, I usually try to come at from like a value perspective um, and just say, you know, if, if you don't have access to online, you do now have access to online. And it's kind of coming back to that, you know, you don't need a credit card now to be a part of the online economy. And then if that doesn't really work, uh, or they do get it, and, and that works, uh, some other people I usually like to use, I use, I like to use a lot of analogies. And I think Bitcoin, the best analogy, and I think people, some people get it and some people don't, is that, you know, I just call it the DMZ, right? And they'll say, what do you mean? I said, well, there, there's, a, there's currencies that you want to hold, right? And I said, VND, there's sometimes you want to hold it because you need to pay it in the country. And then there's US dollars that you want to hold. Right. So you want to be one foot in and one foot out. And so that's kind of like the DMZ, right? You want to be in a safe zone. You want to be in an area where you're not going to feel that you're threatened by the government or you don't trust the government. So you step into the DMZ, which is maybe US dollar. And I say, Bitcoin is just the DMZ. You're stepping into just another zone. And if you feel comfortable in the zone, it's a free market. It's not controlled by anyone. There's no governments in there. And no one's going to censor you because you said something stupid, right? And that usually gets the, the attention of people like, oh, okay, so it's kind of something where I can use it, I can spend it, I can receive it. It's not being censored, it's not being watched, uh, like obviously scrutinized, like if you were using like VND or something, um, and I can go and spend it wherever I want. And it's like, yeah, that's the whole point, right? Is that you have the ability to now go and trade that into US dollar if you want, you can trade it into VND. And that, that usually gets a little bit more receptive for kind of like a layman's person or the general thing. Because um, as soon as you put analogies to it, I think people have more value to it after. One challenge in Japan is that uh, people have a high level of trust in the system. Um, somewhat uh, trust of government, but particularly trust of the system. And, uh, for example, um, the, the pension uh, program. Um, I think there's not a terribly high level of, of personal investment. Uh, it tends to be, well, I'll, I'll have my, um, my government pension waiting for me when I retire. Uh, so I think, um, the idea of like taking responsibility for your own wealth or taking, taking custody of, of an asset yourself is, is pretty foreign. Um, but what is it like in Vietnam? Is there a, a high level of trust in the system or uh, Very different. Not so much? I mean, here people generally don't trust for historical reasons, like in government savings at all. I mean, they trust their family and they do their own savings. 
that's now slightly changing maybe with now the younger generation coming up which is now growing up in a society where it gets more prosperous that's like maybe the 20 25 year olds which work now some corporate jobs in like the big cities but overall vietnam society still from all the times in like 70s 80s 90s all the banking scandals where the banks just go bust and the money just disappears people don't trust banks and government at large still for their savings so they put their money in real estate they put their money in gold not so much in bitcoin yet um but it's in this regard i think a more fertile market if the people get the message than markets like japan or germany where people are just like trusting blindly in the system even if it's maybe not so justified anymore if you run the actual math and the numbers yeah i think a lot of vietnamese people it's funny for self-custody it aligns with kind of like what dom was saying right because a lot of people just save here right and that's kind of an mentality that they've always done especially if you know the history of vietnam there's been a lot of wars here so people don't necessarily trust uh custodial providers or the government to kind of more banks to hold their money uh because of the wars and everything else right a lot of people have lost a lot of stuff and so having self custody of just kind of anything in general um is kind of built into kind of their their morale right because they're just used to it from generation to generation and so having bitcoin as like a, a custodial thing is is i don't think anything new to them so like when you actually explain it to them they get it they understand like oh okay i just have to do this obviously it's a lot more technical um and that does kind of sway people around uh, away but actually when they start getting into it the morals and the values kind of align right it's exactly the same thing that they're doing now um will that get better yeah i think so um i think it's just education and, and kind of people understanding that um and as the next generation grows up like dom said it's going to be more accessible right because now people have you know there's a lot of stuff online now right there's a lot of material now that people kind of look and read on that especially with the younger generation uh some of them do like it and some of them just don't really care um and that's just kind of the default of kind of the online presence of i hate to say like a lot of garbage online right like you know there's tiktok that does all this garbage stuff and and people are more prone to do that way instead of figuring out like what is my financial situation right because maybe their parents have given them a good life and they're not really necessarily looking for like a particular way to be self-sovereign or try to save money or learn how to do like custodial stuff. Um, but I think that will change after obviously there's going to be a shift, I think, I believe, right? Is that governments are screwing over currencies, not just Vietnam itself, but like US dollars doing the best at it, right? So <laughs> printing trillions of dollars out of thin air and then your dollars are going to be completely useless after, you know, another five or 10 years if they keep doing it over and over, right? So inflation is not stopping. It's happening in Vietnam as well. Uh, people necessarily don't see it yet, uh, but they do complain about it. And I think that's why like in the next five years, it's probably going to get even worse. And so what's going to happen is people are just going to say, what's the other option? And they're going to say, oh yeah, I remember Bitcoin. We were talking about it before, right? So when people look at it from that lens where it's like, if I hold my stuff in Bitcoin and I watch all the currencies just go to shit, maybe I will start putting in my money into Bitcoin and start saving it. Cause now the government's just helping you in a completely stupid way by wrecking the currency that they want you to use. And then you're in Bitcoin and you're just watching your value go up. And so I, I think that will be a change in the next like five years or so. And Dom, you met, you mentioned uh, targeting the movers and the shakers in terms of 
um, Bitcoin messaging. I'm always curious about countries that uh, are not necessarily winners in the current system, because I think if you look at uh, most a lot of Western countries and and Japan is certainly in there. The the countries that are are kind of doing very well in the current system, or at least relative to the whole group, then I can understand why something like Bitcoin would would be uh, seen as unappealing or or even a threat to their their position in the current system. But with with uh, countries that aren't necessarily doing so well, I I could kind of see it both ways. On the one hand. Um, like with El Salvador, it's a way to potentially exit the, the the current system. But then also, the the people at the top of these countries are doing pretty well. So so maybe they don't want to shake things up. Um, what's your uh, experience or, or views on that? Yeah, when we again go back to like the topic, talking to like the movers and shakers. When you get an in and they trust you, you can also explain it to them and they will get it, but they might still not push publicly ahead. Because in Vietnam, I mean, the way the system is set up, nobody wants to get on the wrong side of the government. So if they believe that like people on the higher on the hierarchy than them wouldn't like them to go out positively about Bitcoin, they're not going to do it. They might privately start to accumulate, but they are not going public. And there was like one case in, I think, late 2017, where FPT University, FPT is like the biggest software company here in Vietnam. They have their own education campus. And the boss of the university was coming out publicly and say, we are taking now the student um, application fees in Bitcoin. And they publish this all over the FPT-funded media. So everywhere in the news, suddenly positive news about Bitcoin. And they got slapped down very hard within two days, a complete reversal. And like, no, we actually didn't mean this. And that was only a misunderstanding. And you could see they got a call that like, huh. guys, what are you doing? This is not the official messaging. Stop this. So, yeah. Generally, the people here, which can and half a voice will keep silent, but still it's like a long-term approach that you're working with these people now. And at some point they likely will get around because I mean, that's just the trajectory of Bitcoin. I mean, you can't ignore it. Even if you don't like it, I mean, you're only harming yourself if you are not adopting to like the trajectory or where, of where the world is going. So even if right now you don't see direct results yet on, from, from these conversations, long term, I assume that's something which is going to pay off. How about you, Albert? Do you see the Vietnamese government as more um, like open to uh, trying something that doesn't uh, conform to the current uh, global financial system, or uh, because they're kind of uh, in a in a position of relative power, they're they're happy with the the way things are. No, I think that, like from from my opinion, they're aware of it. They know it. Um, I think they have a neutral stance on it. And so, what I mean by that is, they're the thought of we're not going to waste dollars or our money and time on something that we don't know has market adoption or it's going to be used. And so, they take it from a very um 
low approach, meaning like as soon as it does get traction, we'll take a look at it. We'll put some framework around it. We'll see what they do. And then we'll start addressing it. And that's why it's kind of in the gray zone, right? It's not illegal and it's not legal because they know that there is a market segment for it. They know that there are other countries that do use it. They're just trying to still study it and figure out how does that fit within the government's framework, Hmm. right? And so that's why coming back to Dom's kind of saying is Vietnam is a little bit more open in that because they need to understand what type of other, you know, kind of features or use cases would be used in Vietnam for this particular technology. And they want to see that. And then they also want to be able to tax it. That's the other thing, right? So again, it all comes down to a lot of like money and time and resources, right? The country itself has a hundred million people. So I'm sure Bitcoin is on the lowest tandem pool (laughs) for them. Um, But they do understand that they do need uh, payments to be a global contender, right? So to give you an example, before COVID came into Vietnam, right? Vietnam, I think, was placed in the, the third or second ranking of fastest growing country in the world, right? So I, I don't know if this is true or not, but they were saying that they were doing year over year, like 6.7 growth in GDP. Hmm. Like it was just, it was going off. Like there were so many things coming in, infrastructure builds from like building bridges, like buildings, subways, trains, everything coming into uh make Vietnam like another hub of manufacturing outside of China, right? And that was thanks to Trump. And then COVID came and knocked it all over. Hmm. So now Vietnam's trying to come back to that. And so they understand that they do need another global payment rail, right? Because they see all these sanctions that are happening in like, say, Russia and whatever. And if they piss off the US somehow, I'm just saying like, you know, it's just kind of always a risk that they're looking at is like, what happens if US goes and sanctions us? What are we going to do? We have no way to make those payments because they 100% rely on the US, right? So does that come around and they start looking at Bitcoin a little bit more? Maybe. I think, you know, I think that's what me and Dom are trying to position is you have to have the right advisors and people that come in to tell you about how it's used and why it's being used, where there's a lot of bad advisors that are going to these government officials that are not really at the top yet, but they're pretty close and they're advising in the wrong blockchains and they're advising them in the wrong ways. Mm-hmm. And so Hopefully that does change. Um, so that's kind of the stance I think is happening. And I think, you know, it will change. Um, it just, it's more or less time and figuring out like, does Vietnam really want to take that time from the government side to actually put the frameworks in place? And from what I've heard so far is that they are willing to. They're looking at Singapore's framework and they're looking at Japan's framework to figure out, you know, how they can kind of piece that together. Yeah. And based on what Albert said, it makes also certain sense then to to look at the government strategy which they have run so far this way. So they leave the room to experiment that the people like Robert and us can do their things, build their things. But on the other side, with all the negative media projection, they don't really let it reach scale. So they let you play in your sandbox and do your things and let's see what comes out of this. But on the other side, also like kind of put a soft fence around it that it doesn't get too big too out of control before they can somehow then see it in the right direction so that seems to be the approach for the last 10 years basically and from their point of view if you would be in mm-hmm. their shoes and given all the geopolitical situation around vietnam and wider asia it makes a certain sense right 
Albert, you mentioned circular economies, and I know Neutron Pay is involved with Bitcoin Beach Vietnam. Um, can you tell me a bit about that project? Yeah, I, that that kind of stirred up because we wanted to have something, you know, paying homage to like the very first Bitcoin Beach in El Salvador, um, and kind of making sure that we can kind of move that in a different version for Southeast Asia. Uh, and that was just kind of more or less to kind of get more people more people's attention over to Southeast Asia, right? Even though like Latin America was doing it already. And I think US was already kind of the uh, US is pretty much a front runner for it, right? Like Cash App was kind of the first public company to add it in. Hmm. And then El Salvador has now just launched that in a different scale, right? So El Salvador making it legal tender. Um, and we just wanted to take that kind of, I guess, narrative and push that over here as well. Because the narrative so much in, in Bitcoin was just like speculation. You buy it and you save and you never spend it. And, you know, that really irked me and, and bugged me in a way because it's if you really want something to change, you have to you have to show different means of how to use Bitcoin. Right. And if people want to spend it for different means, you should let them. Right. And you, you should be able to enable that. And that's what we wanted to do in Vietnam was kind of show that you could take it for service. You could take it for product. You could start using it for any means that you'd want to for, you know, like like I said, like service or product and just show why you'd want to do it. Right. Because not everyone has those means to go and, you know buy things overseas or like I said, go online and buy things. Everything's really stuck and situated in Vietnam. So when you're in Vietnam, you're just using VND and that really doesn't go anywhere, right? We have NAPAS, we have all these, you know, mobile kind of neo banks, right? Apps and stuff like that, but they're all stuck in Vietnam. It doesn't really do anything, right? So having that kind of say, hey, if we had Neutron Pay kind of come in and show these other apps that are in Vietnam, and what I like to call is like when we're talking to these other kind of neo banks or payment apps in Vietnam is we're giving it wings. And what that means is now you can take that, you know, you can take your mobile app or neo bank that's in Vietnam, for example, like Timo, right? Timo is like a neo bank in, in Vietnam, kind of popular with the Gen Z and, and millennials, is that if you put Neutron Pay in there and you have Lightning enabled into it, Timo can now leave Vietnam and go to the US and start paying Lightning invoices in the US while mm. getting deducted VND. Right. And you can still top up with Timo, like within the app, and load up your VND while you're in the US. So that A, it gives you two things, right? That gives you your app is now able to move around. That's why I say it gives you wings. You're globally now branded. A person who is of Vietnamese descent can be very proud of Timo because it's, it's Vietnamese owned and Vietnamese built. And they can go show that off to their friends and family in the US and say, I use Timo. And it's almost like a Venmo or a Cash App, right, in the U.S. But now they're moving that over to overseas and showing the power of, hey, it doesn't need to be stuck or situated in Vietnam. It's actually enabled with Lightning, has global capabilities now. But maybe they don't want to spend Bitcoin, but they, we can do that over Lightning. And we can have, you know, VND deducted from their, from their balance. We pay the Bitcoin Lightning invoice to, like, say, Cash App. And that Cash App person receives U.S. dollars. No one really cares the Bitcoin in the middle. Hmm. They just care about, did I receive US dollar at the end or did I receive VND at the end, right? And so that kind of creates that circular economy because now people start looking at it as, A, that's something that I can relate to, right? I see the end currency that I'm receiving, but now I understand the technology behind it and maybe I want to use the Bitcoin instead, instead of trying to send it and try to convert it into currency. And so a good example of that is, this might be a little bit early and we're trying to get into it too as well to show why you'd want to use it online is like through Nostra. Is you can do tips, you can go to the marketplaces, you can buy stuff with Bitcoin, right? That people are selling items on Nostra. And that's another 
what we're trying to do is trying to introduce that as this is another reason why you'd want to use Bitcoin and kind of get it out into the wild. Pay for services, pay for goods, whatever it is, because as soon as you start doing that, more people will want to do that. And then circular economy starts building and people want to buy it more. They want to exchange with it more, right? Um, there's good and bad that comes with it, obviously, because there's regulations and regulatory people don't like you leaving their currency. Um, but it's also a good benefit, right? Because you're buying in, you're exchanging in between currencies. And I think that's a huge positive. Government officials may not like that, but I think that's where we're heading. And if the circular economy for Bitcoin helps that, um, so be it, right? So I think that that's where we'd like to push that circular economy is kind of in, in those aspects to make sure that people understand it and why they'd want to use Bitcoin like that. So is Bitcoin Beach an actual location or it's uh, more of a, a community at this point? Well, we had it as we had it at Da Nang, right? So Da Nang is a beach city in, in Vietnam and that's where our conference was as well. Um, so it's kind of similar to like what they had in El Salvador, but it wasn't as as big mm-hmm. um, because this is kind of like the first year that we kind of put it, put it together or, or last year, put it together. Um, or sorry, this year, I mean, <laughs> it's 2023. It's, it's this year that we put it together in March, late March. Um, and so it was, it was a decent turnout. And that's kind of where we've had it for, for that beach. And it was the community that's kind of spread up between Da Nang and Ho Chi Minh City. Um, haven't done too much in Hanoi, but uh, Da Nang and probably uh, Ho Chi Minh City were probably the, the two big spots for it. Yeah, I would say like in terms of hardcore Bitcoiners, the heart is still also in Saigon. I mean, that's like where you can find basically the real Bitcoin meetup. Otherwise, you have more like these crypto meetups. That's probably not where you would want to hang out as a Bitcoiner. So if you're looking for a good Bitcoin meetup, Saigon. Saigon. Uh, speaking of conferences, um, is it the Lightning Con Vietnam? That's the uh, Vietnam's Bitcoin conference? Yeah. So Lightning Con was um, our first uh, try at it. Um, and we're trying to do it. We were going to do it next year, but we were going to call it Beyond Lightning uh, to kind of change kind of the theme because we wanted to see what was beyond Lightning, like the other aspects of it, what you'd want to use it for and all the, the new tools that are coming out and the features. Um, but we postponed it until 2025 uh, just because we felt like 2024 was a little bit too early and too rushed. We had a lot of stuff that was going on on, on our side um, and we couldn't get the things coordinated. So we pushed it to uh, yeah 2025, March, same time, same time, time slot. So at the end of yeah. March, but in 2025. Last year, I mean, we got really good feedback. It was also like the first conference in Southeast Asia after now all these COVID lockdown breaks. And yeah, the people were really happy. Right. And we hope to bring it back in 25. But it's a lot of work to organize a conference. So for next year, basically, like Vietnam crew has decided, like, okay, we just support the guys in Thailand, the guys in, in Bali, and help them to organize here the, the regional conferences. And hopefully back then for more in 25. Yeah, these Bitcoin conferences are really taking off. It seems like... Uh... Almost every Asian country I look at these days has has uh, launched a Bitcoin conference of some sort lately. Uh, we're starting to talk about it here in, in Japan as well. Might hopefully see that next year. Yeah, no, it's, I'm very happy that a lot of like Southeast Asia and South Asia countries are launching it now and they're getting into it. Uh, I call it more like the, 
someone mentioned it before. It wasn't me, but someone said it was like the Knights of the Round Table for Southeast Asia, hmm. right? We're all kind of coming together, building the communities and having this intersection of mesh between all the countries, like in Southeast Asia and South Asia for, for Bitcoin adoption. And I think it's very overall, very good for the space, right? Um, and the reason for that is because U.S. has already taken a lot of the the show stopping, you know, and, and kind of the news and the ability of what they do over there. And I think it's it's overshadowing with like the actual size and what Southeast Asia and Asia could do with Bitcoin itself, with the population and kind of just what's what goes on here is the volume of how much like, you know, transactions could be done here, you know, dwarfs like what yeah. the US can do. You so. might have seen this map where they draw like within this circle, like half of the world's population is living which is like China and India. And if you look like at the center of it, basically Saigon is right at the center of like this circle where half of the world's population is living. Like hmm. from Saigon, like three hours flight, you get basically to half of the world's population. So we are right at the center here. And what Orbit said with the conferences last year, I mean, we had like four conferences here in South Asia. We had Vietnam, we had Philippines, we had then Bangkok and we had Bali. And it was a really good year for like, all the Bitcoin communities here in the region because we were kind of cut off from each other for like since 2019 and 2019 all these communities were also much smaller now after this year we can say everybody basically knows each other by a maximum one layer of separation because of all these conferences where everybody kind of went and all the key players are more or less directly or with one layer of separation maximum connected which makes a lot of things much easier to move across the region. Right. Yeah, that's so cool. Uh, I, I haven't seen that map, but it, it makes sense. And I didn't realize that Saigon was right in the middle of that. Uh, but that is very cool. And uh, it's exciting also from kind of a narrative standpoint, where it seems like the US has really been driving like the way Bitcoin is seen. But then the result is that it's it's often seen or just presented as um, like a, a store of value asset you don't you don't really need to do anything with it um because the narrative is coming from places where people are not really challenged in 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 payments and they don't really rely on remittances um so it's it's so often presented as just an investment asset so i would love to see more of the narrative being like coming out of other places and and uh, other other countries other regions really highlighting different use cases and uh different um appeals of it uh i know albert you have a hard stop so i'll make this my last question but um for next year what are you guys uh focusing on building and what are you excited about albert you want to start either one of you can, you can start go off. first okay i mean right now it's mostly about getting ready for block space scarcity i mean that's like a big topic the last one two months we see right now a lot of pain, for example, with like our Bitcoin ATMs, when people use the ATMs to buy Bitcoin on chain, that's not a business model which is going to last. So these machines have to get ready then also for layer two solutions and so on. Um, so that's certainly from the engineering point of view that we get ready for all of these solutions, one of the key points we need to focus on. And it's unfortunately not as quick as just flicking a button it takes a while to get these things really working the right way. But yeah, that, that's one of the main focus because the core thesis is 
block space, every byte committed to the blockchain will just get more expensive, which means you need to be able to put more value into each byte. Layer two solutions, transaction batching, and all these type of modifications which are possible today. Right. Yeah, for us, we just want to finish keep building out for our payment segments for our APIs, right? So any businesses that want to kind of plug into Neutron Pay to have Lightning as integration into their platform or their app or service sort of that they're using uh, to build a payout into all of Southeast Asia and South Asia. And so we want to hopefully complete a lot of that. Um, we've completed probably about 80% of that. And so we can pay out to all of Southeast Asia. Um, we can pay out to South Asia. We have South Korea that we just added into our payout segment. We'd like to add Japan. We'd like to add China. We'd like to add... Um, uh, there's another country too, I think, uh, I forgot who, but I mean, uh, we'd like to add Australia too as well. I know they're not like really like in the Southeast Asia, but they're in the region. Mm -hmm. Um, and we like to add them as well as a payment segment. And we just want to be dominant more in this region, right? We don't want to compete on the U S side. We don't want to compete in, in Africa. We don't want to compete in UK or Europe. We just want to be situated in, in Southeast Asia and South Asia. And that's our main kind of strength and that's kind of what we'd like to build up more the same thing with our mobile app is like we'd like to have that a little bit more used in southeast asia as well with the ability for all the payouts in southeast asia with still some connections to north america which is like canada and the us um and that's kind of our main thing and hopefully that we try to add in nostra somehow to kind of get the use cases like i talked about like the markets and why you'd want to use um bitcoin and, and lightning for kind of like that more that circular economy and I think that's where it's going to grow. And so that's kind of what we're looking forward to in, in the next year. Exciting. Uh, where can people go to follow you guys and uh, find out more about some of what we've talked about? Yeah, for, so for, for us, like NeutronPay is NeutronPay.com. You can find us also on Twitter. Uh, the handle is at NeutronPay. You can join our Telegram group as well, which is go underscore NeutronPay. Um, and if you have any questions or anything like that, you can find us there. We don't necessarily have Nostra yet. Um, and you can also, um, sorry, Twitter X is probably at neutronpay.com. Um, and eventually you'll be able to find us on uh, Nostra. We don't have a community set up yet, but we're looking to have that soon. Nice. How about you, Dom? Yeah, mostly on Twitter. So just Dominic Weil, that, that's me on there. And otherwise, our company, BitcoinVM.io, that's where you can find the exchange, the ATM services, the online shop, hardware wallets. If you need a hardware wallet in Vietnam, don't want to be with the customs. You can come to us. We have them ready. Yeah, all the services, one-stop shop. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us, Bradley. Thanks for having us, and hope to see you soon in Japan, in Saigon, wherever we shall meet. Yeah, yeah, me too. Okay, what would you think of that? I thought it was interesting when Albert said some Vietnamese consider understanding Bitcoin to be an edge that they don't want to share with others. Honestly, that might be a better strategy for drumming up interest since nothing spreads faster than a secret. And something secretive is a lot more appealing than something that someone is trying too hard to sell you on. It's like all those get-rich-quick finance education influencers. If your method is so effective, why aren't you just doing that instead of selling courses on how to do it? And they'd probably say they want to give something back to the world, and even though that's clearly bullshit, I then have to ask myself, well, why am I trying to get people interested in Bitcoin rather than just using what I know to make money? And aside from the fact I still don't really have any edge when it comes to making money, I think it is always good to question whether I'm offering something that people need or just trying to convince them that they have a need. 
That's what this show is really about. Not cheerleading Bitcoin, but figuring out if it is indeed a tool that solves real problems for people. That's why I also found it interesting that they said Vietnamese are used to self-custody. They've lost a lot to banks and the government, so they understand that the idea of holding some amount of their wealth themselves is really important. For example, in real estate or gold. But you don't have that option with everything, especially as the world gets increasingly digital. Think about it. You can hold cash in your hand or in a safe or under your mattress, but there's no way of self-custodying cash online. If it's in a digital system, it's in a bank. It has a gatekeeper. You have to ask for permission from someone to use it. Bitcoin was the first thing that brought self-custody into the digital era, the online era. So I'm not asking people to buy Bitcoin, I'm asking them if they have a use for something digital that they can also hold and use themselves without anyone's permission. That's enough from me. Thanks again to Dominic and Albert. Follow the show if you don't want to miss an episode. Share this episode with a friend and leave me a rating, review, or comment on Fountain. Thanks for listening, and talk to you again soon.